Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the back row from What I Watch Tonight. My name is Matt Hudson, and this is episode 1234 of Retrospectives. In these recurring shows, I'm going to be chatting about my favourite movies, and it's not quite so self-indulgent as it sounds. I'm joined by a guest who just so happens to love that movie as well. And for tonight's episode, I'm diving into something a little more modern to discuss 2016's La La Land. And joining me here in the back row to, to dance from Utini and the Living Force podcast is a living legend. They say never talk to your idols, but what do they know? It's Eric Eilerson. Eric, how on earth are you? I am fantastic, Matt. Thank you so much for having me. I've been freaking loving you on Star Wars Sessions for forever, so I'm so happy to come here to talk about this awesome movie. Thank you very much for that, Eric. And we just we, we talk a lot on Twitter as well. We have banter about the Women's Football World Cup or just or football, mm-hmm. soccer slash football in general. And so far, I've come out on the on the losing end. But just before we go any further, I've mentioned you, Teeny Living Force podcast. For those out there, what on earth are they? Well, Utini uh, is a website, utini.com, that is all about the expanded universe of Star Wars. So your books, your comics, all that stuff. I'm over there. I'm writing reviews of the new books. I'm uh, putting together collections with my fellow uh, workers that are going to help you figure out what to read. Because there's hundreds of books, right? There's mm-hmm. way too many books. Uh, so we say, hey, do you like Leia? Here's the books you should read. Do you like BB-8? Here's what you should read. Do you like pilots, <laughs> etc." So we do that. And then the Living Force podcast is me and two of my friends from Utini, Charles and Corey. And we weekly talk about the books. So whether it's reviewing the latest book, whether it's talking about all the crazy publishing news like you and Lou did last week about uh, New York Comic Con. um, That's what we do. It's about an hour every Thursday or so. We just chat about that side of Star Wars. And obviously tangent onto all the other great things happening. But that's, that's me. That's about where I come from. And there's some great interviews on there as well, I'll say. So uh, at the end of the show, everyone out there listening, because I know right now you probably want to go and listen to that instead, but please hold on till we finish (laughs) talking La La Land. We'll give out all the links at the end of the show. But for now, let's talk La La Land. It's directed by Damien Chazelle, of course. It's barely three years old now. uh, And with this movie comes the now infamous Academy Awards blunder, but I'm sure that'll get mentioned later on. So the boring part, the admin, it stars Ryan Gosling as Sebastian, a struggling jazz pianist. Yes, I said pianist. Uh, Emma Stone as Mia. And, oh, how childish was that? An aspiring actress. Uh, John Legend, Rosemary DeWitt, uh, Finn Wittrock, Jessica Roth, J.K. Simmons, and many more. And the synopsis read, Sebastian and Mia are drawn together by their common desire to do what they love. But as success mounts, they are faced with decisions that they begin, that, sorry, that begin to fray the fragile fabric of their love affair. Some alliteration right there. And the dreams they work so hard to maintain in each other threaten to rip them apart. It, it made an astonishingly good 446 million bucks against a 30 million dollar budget. So the studio was was popping champagne that night, and it was the 19th biggest movie of the year. Um, and as a warning, as put all the shows on our retrospectives, there will be spoilers for this movie throughout, as we're going to be discussing specific moments from throughout. So if you haven't seen La La Land, well. Give yourself two hours and two minutes, go and watch it, settle down, come back and listen to myself and Eric speaking about it. So just do bear that in mind. But enough from me. Let's jump back over to the pond and hear about the man who matters. Eric, basically, what is it about this film, which, you know, which you clearly love or like, 
Uh, and what are some of your best moments or aspects from it? Well, this movie was one of my most anticipated movies the year it came out because <laughs> I loved Whiplash, which yeah. was Damien Chazelle's first film, right? It was um, – I used to play uh, jazz drums. So, yeah, when that movie came out, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's for me. And it was so intense. And I, I, I said, whatever this guy writes or directs, I am there day one. <laughs> he is amazing. So I got to La La Land day one, and it was the same thing. I freaking – love this movie because uh, now when I'm not podcasting and writing about Star Wars, I am trying to be an actor over here. So this is a very close to home movie for me, um, especially with Mia, right? Mm -hmm. Because her whole struggle about trying to be an artist while trying to maintain a day job while trying to maintain a love life while like it, it's very weirdly relatable to me. And as I watched it for the second time or for most recently for this podcast, because I haven't seen it now in probably two years. Mm -hmm. I was remembering how it it doesn't shy away from the bad parts of show business, which I really like. I like that it's very honest about, you know, they are they get sad sometimes, sometimes their money's hard, sometimes creative you don't get to be as creative as you want. But at the same time, it celebrates all the great stuff about it. I mean, there's so much joy and color and life in this movie. Yes. I mean, even if from the from the first scene, that first song when they're dancing on the highway, you know what movie you are in for. And I, I really love how that tone of celebration and excitement continues, even in the darker times of the film. And I, I think that the way it is shot is really great. I think the direction, the editing is phenomenal. The music just sticks in your head, whether you like jazz or not. <laughs> um, and it just all comes together to create this kind of warm bath of a movie that you can just let yourself fall into. So I, I am I, I'm so glad you had me on this show for this episode because it gave me an excuse to revisit this movie um, and learn a couple of new things about it. But yeah, I, oh, it's fantastic. I can't top that. So thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, a warm bath. I mean, come on. That's everything about that, this film that is great is encapsulated in what Eric said. I truly mean that as well because it is that it is the film itself says in one of the songs, here's to the fools that dream crazy as they may seem. And this film is all about celebrating that. It's not just celebrating LA or Hollywood culture, because to me, it actually does the opposite of that. But kind of, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's poking at that culture. But it, it, it's highlighting those people, like yourself, Eric, who are out there, you know, dreaming. This is what they want. And you've you got to go through the hardships to get there. And it may seem crazy, but, you know, here's to you guys. And that's what I took from, from this film. And what we don't have, which I quite like, is just a simple girl meets boy and they live forever in glee kind of story. It's far from it. It's a lot more real than that. And it's that which lifts the movie and drives it along for me, narratively. Are some of the, the elements simplistic? Sure they are. But nothing's like unbelievably mad. Uh, but I like the fact that it feels... When it's at its most real, it feels like extremely real. There's a scene where Mia and Sebastian are having an argument, kind of um, two-thirds of the way through the film, when they kind of realise, well, Mia is needs to rehearse for her one-man show, her one-woman show, sorry, and Sebastian's going off on tour, and, it, and then he kind of sort of drops a bombshell that this is my potential future going forward. I'm going to tour, then we're going to come and write an album, then we're going to tour that album, and it could go on for years. And the argument that they have there is so real and so emotional and so, I hate the word gritty, but it has like this gritty feel to it. And that's what I love that Chazelle's brought to this film. It's that kind of 
streamlike quality in one sense, but you know when it gets down to it, it talks to it talks to those who dream, and I really, really, really like this film. So, in terms of my favourite scenes, I could go on forever. But oh, but for, for yourself, Eric, if the first scene you think of when you think of La La Land, what would it be? I think it's got to be that first dance they have after the party. Um, I mean, it, it's the poster. Yeah, it's yeah. it's the you know the the tap dance uh, looking over the city oh. really. Um, really just comes to me because it's such a beautiful love letter to old Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, my partner is super into old Hollywood. She loves all that stuff. So as we were watching this pastime, she was pointing out like, that's Fred Astaire. And yeah. that's when it goes there. And like, so that's, and when I saw it for the first time, I had no idea any of those references and still liked it. But like, it shows the reverence Chazelle has for that old style. Um, also, I mean, the two of them are so good at it. Even just, I mean, I feel like I keep talking about other things, but yeah. Gosling and Stone are great. So the chemistry they have with each other in that scene is great. You get to see it kind of starting to build into something. And the technical choreography is a lot of fun. It makes you fall in love with the idea of what they're doing. Um, even for someone like me who doesn't love L.A., I have some friends out there. I, I It's too much for me. I, I, I'm in Chicago myself. It's about as big, as big as I can get. Even I could think, oh, I get it. I get why they love nights like this and why you love that view and love that idea of this music. And that scene kind of encapsulates that for me. It's interesting you say that about LA because I've never been. I'd like to go just because of the reverence people seem to hold it in that, you know, LA is the bright lights of LA is where you need to be. Whereas in my head, it probably isn't quite like that. Certain parts are probably lovely, but then the rest of it's probably just stuck at any other city. Um, yeah, that, that, I mean, that's the iconic scene of the film is the poster shot. Oh God. The backdrop to that, the purple hue of that sunset is is the thing that I love the most about this film is colours, which again I'll I'll rant, rampage into that shortly. But that particular shot is just, well, the, I mean the scene, sorry, is just magnificent. And like you say, the about the influence is so heavily influenced by Singing in the Rain or West Side Story or The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which is what Chazelle said the film was influenced by mainly. And Stone and Gosling, they're not quite Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, but they don't need no. to be, and they're still great to watch. They, they're, they're, their natural chemistry shines through. Their chemistry is off the chart good. It's ridiculous. And the song, A Lovely Night, is called. It's just perfect. And like you say, it's reminiscent of the days gone by, but what I do like is the pair interrupted at the end by like the very modern sound of a mobile phone, a cell phone going off. So you've had this throwback to the old old times, and then it's kind of really briskly interrupted by a cell phone going off to bring it to remind you that we're not actually in those days. And that's another thing I like about the film as well. You feel like you are transported back in time, though it is still very much a modern movie. That scene that apparently it took like five takes over two nights because there's only half an hour. There's a half an hour window of which you can get that purple sunrise sunset. Sorry. Wow. Yeah. So they did five takes, and the fourth one was used. So of course they're obviously doing this in one take as well. It's a one shot take. So the choreography for two people who are admittedly by their own standards not dancers, they learnt the the routines beforehand. It's amazing and it's just what I think this is gonna be one of those posters and one of those scenes that, you know, it kind of some it, it encapsulates this decade of film. It's one of the more most iconic moments in this decade if I don't mind saying so myself. Yeah, and, and I think one of the interesting things about 
you know, contrasting the old school and the new school, as you were saying it does, is that when, when it first came out, a lot of people that didn't care for it were saying that, oh, it's just a love letter to old Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It's very safe because it's very much like those movies. But then I look around and I said, it's how can you say it's such a, it's such a safe film when we don't have like 20 of these coming out? This was a, this was it's risky. It's original music. Yeah. It's using a style of filmmaking that really isn't used anymore because it kind of fell out of fashion. But I think this did a really great job for people that maybe missed those old films, right? That maybe didn't grow up seeing Singing in the Rain. Mm -hmm. And now maybe they think, oh, it's, it's, it's too old. Um, the quality of the film isn't as good. I want, you know, my, my more HD kind of thing. And maybe the music is a little too old school. And I think that what that scene specifically with the lovely night does is uses those influences, as you were saying, in a modern way that makes it more accessible. That makes it say, this is what it felt like to be a younger person watching these movies back in the old days now. So you can actually hear music that is a little tighter or crisper, as it were. The film quality is digital and it's more HD and you can do with a little more things with angles. So it's an exact update of the thing people used to love. And maybe now, you know, people see it and will go back to those movies to say, oh, Chazelle did say he was influenced by those. Now I can go back and have a whole nother kind of Hollywood education. And that's fantastic. And I love the fact that you call it an update because that's kind of what it is. It's, it is just a, it is an homage and it is a loving look back, but it's not trying to be those films. It's just taking the best part of those, uh, of the inspirations and just bringing them to a modern time. So it's got that kind of classic feel. But as you say, for modern audiences who may not be into this because I mean, musical musical films do quite well when they come out. Things like Moulin Rouge and Chicago. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I wouldn't say the musical genre is flourishing. We've got um, no. West Side Story uh, by Steven Spielberg coming out next year, which is probably going to blow up. But I, I myself, was I'm not the biggest musical fan. I like I like the old classics, but I'm not. The, it's not the first genre I'll turn to. So when this film actually came out, I'd obviously heard like most people the you know outrageous hype surrounding it so that would have got me to see it anyway but yeah i mean had i had i just seen the poster i'm not sure i would have run out opening night to see it like i did it despite the fact that it's got two lead actors who i'm very fond of in um and now what that that kind of taught me three years ago don't judge a book by its cover or by a film by a genre if you will because, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm open-minded enough about film. I love lots of different types of films because that's what I like to do. I like to write about them, as you all know. But, yeah, I mean, every, La La Land wasn't a, was a film that didn't actually necessarily jump out to me in the months leading up to it until the hype train really started to go. So, I mean, are, are you a musical man, a, a genre man? Uh, generally, I'd say yes. I'm, I, I'm, I'm less inclined than some of my other friends, like when I was in... When I was in theater school, uh, a lot of my friends were more um, interested in singing in musicals. And my, my actual professional career, I don't do musicals. I like them. I like seeing them. I like you know witnessing them, but I'm not necessarily getting all the cast albums, and I'm not there day one and things mm-hmm. like that. But I definitely do love the spectacle of a really good musical. I mean, there's there's something in the combination of a really great song and a really great dance and a really great, you know, set and lights and when and everything works together there's kind of nothing else like it in entertainment that, that's that's fair enough and that works in this film the when when the movie started like as you alluded to earlier on with that massive dance um s- scene on the highway i did think oh no 
Oh no. Is this going to be too theatrical for me? No, within mm-hmm. five minutes, I knew I was a complete ass because it, I was so I was completely sucked into this film and uh, even more so as the rest of the film went on. And I've got, and I mean, I, I've got no problems with any kind of music coming into films. It's just the theatricality of it sometimes. But I think La La Land nailed it. And I've gone back many times since, including to rewatch it for this show um, last night, in fact. Um, and that opening scene didn't bother me whatsoever. I think it's because I went in with that preconception of, oh, no, I'm not sure I'm going to enjoy this. Then that started, and I thought, oh, no. But when you go back to rewatch it, it's an incredible scene. It's a long, old scene. It's it's shot as in, it's shot like it's one long shot. I think there's a couple of um, clever transitions between it. I think there's three clever transitions to make it look mm-hmm. like one shot. But, yeah, that's, that is a scene which... I have grown to love. And I mean, there's so many other ones I've got off the top of my head. I can think of so many scenes in this film, which I loved. I mean, throw one, uh, throw one out there. The, the planetarium scene when, um, oh, when they're dancing, yeah. when Mia and Sebastian are dancing, that's very evocative of Moulin Rouge to drop another film in there. It looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. The stars uh, above and around them, they're floating in between them. It, that's the kind of dreamlike scene I was, I was referring to. And it works so well. And it's shot so well, and the music is so good, and the pair of them, uh, just in general, look so good. It's two beautiful people, but like the costume design, and I mean that scene is just wonderful. Yeah, and and that's a cool scene too because it really, I think more so than almost any other scene, blends the the idea between realism and the heightened realism, right? Yeah. The the magical realism of the when he when he gives her a little push and she goes flying into the sky, and then he kind of chases after her and then the whole movie kind of shifts and you go oh okay this the music and and the the direction of the movie allows us to kind of travel a little more like almost like a mary poppins right like like a um an acceptance of this new reality Mm -hmm. that the director is telling us and i think that that could have been bad that could have been a little too (laughs) off the wall it could have been out of nowhere but i really think that the the way that it's shot and the way that it's written and the way that the music kind of slowly swells just brings us gently into this new world and by the but before you know it we're watching silhouettes dancing and <laughs> starlight and clouds and i'm like all right great but also they might come argue in a living room later like it's the exact same <laughs> thing and that's a really hard line to ride i think yeah it's it's a it's a well-written film it's nominated i mean i'll sh- be shout out this film was nominated for a record equaling 14 Oscars 14 including best original screenplay didn't win it it did win for best director best actress for Emma Stone best original score for Justin Hurwitz who was robbed for even getting a nomination for first man best original song see it stars best production design and best cinematography best mention those right now because we they're the kind of things we're going to speak about throughout this entire episode but um, yeah, you're right. The, the heightened state of those scenes may not work for everybody. And I think that's kind of the mm-hmm. things where I like them. And if I was going to say about something I, I didn't like, I can't think of many, but I'll get to that. But <laughs> that, I could imagine some people saying that kind of thing where they think, oh, well, it's too, yeah, it's too uh, wishy-washy for me. But no, it, that worked for me. It, it all came together and worked for me. Like I say, when you get to those more grounded scenes later on, the two do go hand in hand, but that's just down to, well, yeah, excellent writing and excellent directing. So, planetarium scene. What else? What else have you got, my man? 
Oh man, um, I think one of the scenes that really gets me is in the dark way is their their argument. Uh, the one you mentioned earlier where he says, I have to go on mm-hmm. tour. And she says, she has to, he's like, why can't you leave? You can rehearse anywhere because that is a conversation I have heard a lot of times in my okay. life and had sometimes as an artist. It, it's really hard when, you know, one of the partners is doing very well and the other one is mm-hmm. not. And it's, it's a hard line because it's, you want to be proud for them, right? But at the same time, your own art is suffering and you're trying to make yourself feel better. And it was it's just a very honest, sad scene that they both play very well. And I th- I think that, that that's one of the ones that this time really watching it hit me a little mm-hmm. harder because being a little bit older, now I've been in, you know, the theatrical world for about two or three more years. I've had a little more under my belt. It, it it's gotten all the more real for me watching those scenes. So whereas, you know, the planetarium and another lovely night give me that joy and that giddiness. That scene of them arguing really just hit me, you know, hit me right in the heart. And I was like, wow, this movie can really go all across the spectrum. And I mean, props to Gosling and Stone for really being able to, you know, sing and dance together and fly into the sky and also just have an honest conversation about their careers and about. How does their love fit in it, and does it? Which I think is the scariest question for most people. I I can understand from a certain point of view um, how that would you know <laughs> hit you harder just because of the conversation that they're having. And um, and yeah, you're right. It, it, it's just that very real moment between them, and it's a great scene. It's a it's a great scene of dialogue in a film which, as I've mentioned, is extremely well written. But there's, there's, but there's generally quite a lot going on in the background. Not always just so, song and dance, but there's so much to be looking at in, in, in certain scenes that everything comes together in this beautiful melting pot. But in this particular scene, they are literally just sitting down at a table. There is a beautiful sort of teal hue behind them, real beautiful green sort of hue. Yeah, yeah, but they're that's... just sitting there talking over over dinner. And it allows Stone and Gosling a chance to act, you know, really act, and I believe that that scene was rewritten quite a lot because they want between them, Chazelle, Gosling, and Stone wanted to get it spot on. And I think the actors had a a quite a lot of say in how it was written because they wanted it. They obviously they bought into their characters so much that they wanted to have ownership over them. So they wrote it from the character's point of view, and I think that's also why it feels so you know quote unquote real because you know the. Seb- Sebastian and Mia, if you will, wrote the scene themselves, and it get you know it does get quite intense towards the end, and it's uh, after everything before that is so nice and so lovely. As I say, we use that word so dreamy almost. Mm-hmm. When the scenes start coming apart, it's it's it does affect you. I think it is quite emotional to see because you buy into these people, you buy into Mia's passion. And love and want for this. This is all she wants. You buy into Sebastian's love and passion for jazz. Even though he may be potentially going down routes he didn't think he was going to. As I, to be fair, both of them do. But you like mm-hmm. them as characters. And that argument is one of the first steps to where they end up. But it's, as a scene, yeah. In a scene full of like dreamlike states. I think it's one of the, yeah, I agree, it's one of the standout scenes. Yeah, and and it's very interesting that, you know, 
you, you saying that they wrote it with Chazelle, which again totally makes sense. I think that one of the things about Chazelle being a younger filmmaker, as well as that he's probably he's very collaborative. He does this was his second film, and yeah. I think he was still very much, you know, open to all right. What do you got? What do you bring into the table? You know, I don't know everything. I, I'm not as seasoned, so let's let's make something together, which I think is great. And I think that the idea of two actors playing an actor and a musician saying, you know, did you only like me when I wasn't working because you weren't working and, you know, we could, we could kind of live in that together, I think is, is something that, you know, a lot of people can relate to, whether it's, you know, whenever, when you meet whoever your partner is going to be, whether it's going to be forever or just for a little while, generally it's a little easier to start out if you're both in either the same financial situation or the same social, you know, something you can level out on. And then if one of you changes drastically, that's going to affect it. And I think we don't see that a lot in films because that's not nice. It's not fun. It's it's not cute. It's <laughs> And I think putting that in this film, that is so, as you said, dreamy um, and everything was a, was a really cool idea. And the dialogue in it is, it isn't nice yet, but towards the end, it isn't nice when, um, Mia says to Sebastian, why do you care so much about being liked? And he basically just snaps and says, you're an actress. Who are you to talk? And it's this like, mm-hmm. moment of silence where you're kind of like, now you've gone a little bit too far. And yeah, then he says, yeah, maybe you liked me more when I was a failure because it made you feel a little bit better about yourself. That's the and one. Like, That's the line. No, you didn't go there, mate. He went there. <laughs> oh, it just gut punches you. Because you're like, no, but they were singing. They were dancing together. <laughs> yeah. We saw it. Flying. We loved it. <laughs> They're flying. Yeah. And and then the the silence, like the sort of like the sad, horrifying silence is punctuated by a fire alarm going off. And it's like the most yeah. uh, you, you kind of like teeth grinding moment where you think, because firstly, alarms are annoying, but also it, it, it punctuates that scene. What would have happened next? Could they have saved anything from that? But we never get to know because when old uh, when Ryan's taken that turkey out of the oven or whatever it is he's doing, Mia's off. She's gone. She's yep. not after, and you can blame her. Yeah, and it's like you—it's like uh, a funny comparison to that cell phone from earlier, right? Like that's their love is starting, and they get interrupted, and now this is a fight that gets interrupted. So they're—they're they're always <laughs> yeah. almost to this point of uh of either connection or ultimate, you know, ultimate emotion, and then some kind of alarm or something interrupts them. Yeah, and the the, the tragedy was—it wasn't a turkey, sorry, it's an apple pie, and it got burnt in the oven. Mm. So whilst they were fighting, there was an apple pie burning in the oven. So, you know... They could have had pie! Yeah, they Come on! They could have had pie. Point's pie over. makes everything better! <laughs> um, so, yeah. I, yeah, I, f- I feel for that pie in that scene. The unsung hero of that. I mean, there's so many... We, we're talking about moments where the seams start to come apart. The brilliant scene with Mia going for her audition, which is, you know, where she sings, auditions, you know, the Fool's That Dream, that one, that song. That is, I believe, the moment where things really start to fall apart for the for the couple. And Emma Stone absolutely brings it in this scene. It's just her, and she she performed that song in front of camera. It wasn't lip synced, as far as I'm aware. It, she, you know, she's just there for all to see, vulnerable, just singing about this song. Like we say, this is for the fools that dream. It's crazy it may seem everything, and it's incredible. And she, I, I mean, firstly, I think she absolutely deserved to win the Oscar for this year despite there being some other extremely strong performances. But this scene in, on its own, where she's singing that song, is is proof enough to me. Yeah, it, it's a it's a marvellous, marvellous performance, especially 
compared to earlier in the film where she's going on all these auditions, which which is also maybe maybe the most relatable thing um, to me and mm-hmm. to anyone else that is an actor or trying to get into auditions. Uh, the montage of her getting interrupted, of her <laughs> doing all these stupid characters, and she has to take off work and all these things. I, f- I felt very, very seen by all of that. Um, so to have her go through all these times where she thinks she's doing great or she's trying to do her best, but someone just wants a sandwich or someone wants to say hi to their friend or they've already cast the part. No one cares. And the cell phone goes ha- off. Exactly. All of, like, most of which have definitely happened to me. <laughs> uh, to have her just captivate a room entirely for is is such a moment of victory mm-hmm. in in her vulnerability you know like she's yeah. she's clearly tired you know they they drove the whole way there in the morning she's not maybe as audition ready as she wants to be and she's just goes in and softly opens up and that's the one which is a beautiful statement you know yeah. it's it's getting rid of all this artifice she thinks she has to have it's getting rid of all this you know quote unquote acting that she thinks she's had to do and she just gets to be herself, and that's what brings her success, which I think is beautiful, yet simultaneously leads to another great scene immediately after of the two of them acknowledging, hey, if this happens, oh. we're, we're done. And Dude. I think yeah, it, and it breaks your heart, you know, because it is, it is telling us that you can have it all career-wise, but you may have to sacrifice this, and that's just the reality, you know? I've I've had plenty of friends that have been dating people in the arts and someone wants to go to Los Angeles and someone else doesn't. And okay. Like I, that whole, I still love you. I will always love you, but I know I have to do this is such a, Oh, it just makes you melt. You know, (laughs) you know, it's, it's so, it's such a sad moment. I'm, I'm always going to love you. And then I repeat it back. And it's, Again, in a movie where colour is so important, it's such mm-hmm. a muted scene of where they're sitting on that bench. It's yeah. there's you know, there's nothing bombastic or flamboyant happening. Again, it's just two people allowed to talk to each other in this most kind of yeah, quiet of spots, I would say mundane, but without any of the hoopla going on around them and it's another, similar to the argument scene, it's another powerful scene. Because it is just that it's it's a quieter contemplative moment, and it is that realization. Uh, and I, if I if I believe rightly, the audition scene comes after the fo- the argument, doesn't it? They have the argument. She drives to live with her mother or sister. Forgive me. Yep. And then Ryan Gosling gets the call. Uh, sorry, Sebastian gets the call. He drives all the way to pick her up. Eventually, she agrees, and then she goes for an audition, and then they kind of reconcile at this moment. So it's kind of like yeah. a, it's like being uh, what I'd imagine. Being in the ring with Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, it's just punch, <laughs> punch, punch, knockout. And at the end, which oh, yeah. and the end in which I know we're going to speak about shortly, that is the knockout punch for me. But it's mm. kind of the yeah, it's like the rope dope moment where you realise that maybe you know, as Luke Skywalker said, this isn't going to go the way you think. Uh, but it, it's done again. It's done well. I had expected it to go the way I thought. I thought it was going to be, you know, they have their ups and downs. Like a rom-com. They meet, mm-hmm. they fly in the air, you know, they float in the stars and dance against the sunlight, sunset. Then they have a fight and fall out over and the apple pie gets burnt and then they reconcile and get back together in the end. It didn't go that way and firstly, I, you know, I appreciate and I applaud Damien Chazelle, which I'm sure we would be pleased to hear for that because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people and even reading comments about people now who love the film and that, so many people almost, like, almost yearn 
for them to be together at the end. And I think that, again, comes out to brilliant, brilliant writing. But, yeah, the scene on the bench where they're talking, well, always going to love you, and obviously preceded before that by the audition scene is... It's magnificent. It really is. And again, the, and the lyrics to that song, and here's to the hearts that ache, here's to the mess we make. That then leads on to that next scene, as we say. It, it's just something mag, you know magnificent about what Chazelle has done in this film and what makes it even more impressive. And I don't mean to sound like a douche, but he's the same age as I am, which doesn't, yeah. doesn't mean he can't be <laughs> talented. But do you know what I mean? It's like, and I've, I've had yeah. people flame me before for saying age shouldn't be an issue. No, it shouldn't be. Age isn't an issue. I just find it incredible to think that, you know, at such a young age, Damien Chazelle was brought out are going to be two stone-cold classic films of this millennium. And First Man, mm-hmm. whilst it disappointed me, it was still a bl- bloody well-made film. And it was it's these kind of moments, like this, the, the fight, the audition, and the the acknowledgement of what's going to happen is, you know, is, is testament to that man's skill. So, um, thank you for making my heart ache once more. Yeah. I mean, the, it, I think that's the word. It's just skill. It's absolute skill because I think that a lot of people that watch this movie could think, Oh, it's so, it is so emotional and it's such an artistic feat, but there's so much technical skill that goes yes. into it. You know, knowing exactly how to shoot, each scene and we've been talking a lot about the color in the movie you know when when do you blast those colors in the background like during the dance so then the muted scene on the bench can actually hit even harder because it's so blank and quote-unquote normal Mm -hmm. you know um and i think that the the choices you were saying to make it not your traditional happy ending is also an interesting contrast to the old school films it's based on right like you're singing in the rains because they almost all end Right with the hat, it's the kiss at the end or the happy final yeah. song and the end fanfare. Right, and I think that the he gets in the normal beats all the way up until the end, yeah. and then decides, well, this is one of the differences between the modern day and the classic era, because in the modern day we know that sometimes it just doesn't work yeah. out. But at the same time, he goes one step further and says, but that's okay, because what I love, and I know we're gonna get basically into like a lot of specifics about the ending here. One of the strengths that I think it has is that they are both. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you have the hard breakup that you think is the love of your life. You think this is it forever. It's a fellow artist. We did what we could. We both found success. How magnificent, how lovely. And yet it still doesn't happen, but don't worry audience. Don't worry. Anyone <laughs> watching this, there is still life. There is still a possibility, and I think that, in a way, it's both more and less romantic, right? Because the the we like the, we love the romantic idea of oh, it's the one soulmate for everyone, and if you lose them, then you have to get on a plane and find them immediately because nothing will ever be okay again. But at the same time, it's saying no, love and art can kind of both be eternal. You can keep finding them. It'll be hard, and it might hurt, but you know, Mia's happy. At the end, she yes, she has a different husband and stuff, but she is successful and she seems good. And Seb has his club, and he seems like he's actually fulfilled. So, I think that was a weird, or I guess most people would think it's a weird turn by Chazelle to decide, hey, my romantic leads won't end up together, but it's still a happy ending, <laughs> yeah. you know, which I think is a hard pitch, probably. But it works though. Mm-hmm. As as much as I didn't want it to, 
it it does work. And yeah, like you say, it's it's Chazelle's way of kind of saying as well that your past it makes you who you are in the in the present, if you know what I mean. Where, mm-hmm. as you said, they are both happy with their lot now. Maybe it's not where they could have been, but it's where they are, and they're happy. And, and that is encapsulated in the ending is because of where they came from, what they went through together, shaped where they ended up. And I think it's really well done. It, I mean, the film itself pretty much deals with balancing a relationship between art and and your relationship with other people. How do you balance that fine line? And I find it so very interesting how you say that you've known people who have been in this situation where, you know, what do you do when you've got your the love of your life on one hand and the you know the the love of your life the passion of your life with the craft what do you do and i find it so interesting to hear from somebody who's actually kind of who can watch this film now and think that's close to home because i watch it and i i get sad watching it but obviously in terms of artistically i haven't been in that situation but um it's so interesting the way you say that and should we just should we, should we get into the ending now because yeah yeah we're dancing a little bit. We're we're tap dancing around it a little bit on the looking over the skyline. It's a lovely yeah, night, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can I be? You could be Ryan Gosling because I hear that Damage has actually tapped up Eric to be Sebastian, but the studio are worried that look, we can't have too many screaming girls at the in the, in the auditorium. <laughs> Nobody's going to be able to watch That's the damn it. film. So, um, <laughs> but as for the ending, I think the ending is magnificent. And when I watched it again last night, I have no shame in saying that it got to me again. The very last shot, well, of one of them, when after all is said and done, Seb- and Sebastian's kind of forlorn looking at his piano after he's played their love theme. Mia walks off with her husband, walks out, and then she turns to look at him, and he looks up and sees her. They share that glance, and then he gives her this, just this kind of knowing smile, and she gives him one back, and th- that nod and smile, it, for me, in my head, I was kind of thinking... It was like his way of saying that was for you, or it, and and also at the same time it's kind of like the final you know so long, goodbye, and on another way because we've got to get this in somewhere. It was all almost like a silent way of saying I love you, I know type moment. Yes, it, that, yes. that's how it felt. But I mean I've skipped right to the end, but because that that look and smile they share. I wouldn't be able to do that a thousand times if I looked in the mirror and tried that. It's so beautifully emoted, but I mean, oh, so I mean, I'll throw it back up to yourself. So for the so the that ending scene, so the entire kind of like nine minute ending of the film, yeah. Please take it away before whilst I get the tissues. Absolutely. So you know, we we get to Mia has has her career's taken off. She gets this movie out of the audition. She and Sebastian split up, and she is a star now. She is in, in in a couple of years. She now has a fragrance line. She is she is clearly very wealthy. She lives in a great home. There's a great uh, part uh, leading up to the final scene where she goes into the same you know Starbucks esque coffee shop that she used to work at, but now as a star, she gives them a nice tip, mm-hmm. and it, it it's a great little uh, mirror of the beginning of the film. And she's with her husband on a date night. They have a child. And you realize that she's doing great. She's very happy. And they're on their way somewhere and decide to pull off an exit and go get dinner. And it's all very romantic. And they pull into this random jazz club, which is his idea, hilariously, which I find <laughs> a great touch, that he hears the music and decides to go down. And it's one of those cool, you know, little clubs that only has an arrow. So you kind of have to know it's there, yeah. which I, I love that aesthetic. It's great. 
And they go in, and she sees the logo that she designed yes. for Seb way back when is what it used, because now she is in Seb's club. He has made his jazz club uh, using her idea yeah, and all his members. It's it, Yeah. He, he has realized his dream. All his memorabilia is everywhere. The, the stool that his sister made fun of him for having is on the wall. I mean, and there's jazz playing, and it's a beautiful moment. And she is, you know, so taken aback. And, and it's all over Emma Stone's face. It's a, it's a silent, you know, she has no dialogue. It's all just her emoting, realizing, A, this is awkward, <laughs> because I know exactly where this is. <laughs> but But at the same time, you can see her being like, oh, my God, he did it. You know, there, there's a there's a appreciation for it. And then when she goes to sit down, um, they uh, the band finishes up a song. Seb gets up and, and you know, says, thanks, the band. And then he sees Mia in the crowd. And they have this moment of, you know, it's like the uh, the dirty dancing moment. Yeah, right? yeah. You see him across the room and that's it. And he sits down at the piano and just begins to play. And then we get this montage of what if, which is so... The awful man, Damien. <laughs> oh, God. It's, it, it, it flashes back as the music swells, and we see him not going on tour with the guys in the band, and we see him showing up to her show yes. and applauding, and everyone's happy, and they get married, and they have a child, and, like, it, it, it's this alternate history, you know, that Chazelle shows us. And it's all through the power of the music. And as it ends... You know, Mia's sitting there as, as, you know, as if she had just seen all this happen. Mm -hmm. And song ends, everyone claps. And as they leave it, and then it's exactly what you said. You know, they give each other that knowing moment of, you know, we both know what we could have been. And we didn't. But that's okay. I'm glad you're doing so great. I'm glad you're doing so great. I love you, I know. And it's just... It's a such God. It, it's so emotional just thinking <laughs> yeah, about it's it. Exactly. Because, you know, you get this idea that you know we are weirdly. I feel like in pop culture and in life, it's expected that if you date someone and you split up, you're supposed to hate yes. them forever. Like that's oh oh, I don't love them anymore. Oh, I never liked them in the first place. No, actually, exactly <laughs> right, right. And this movie does a, such an interesting idea with saying, you know, yeah, they still love each other, but that doesn't mean they're not doing their own lives, and it's. It's a really, you know, heart-wrenching moment because we've seen them. We want them to get together. But they acknowledge that we could have had it. We didn't. On we go. And that's how it leaves you. And it's just, ugh. <laughs> it's such a great end, you know? Ugh, it's the best way. Because it is that. It's, it's, the, it's the kind of pinnacle, the zenith of bittersweet. Because like, it's like we've both said, you get to really like these characters for their highs and their lows and their flaws and their positive aspects of them. But you get, you really take a shine to them. And it's that, it's like you see, the acknowledgement now, they are both, you know, placated with the fact that, you know, the, each other is happy. They've, they, they've got, they've made it to where they want to in life. And there's that respect between them. A kind of like loving respect that, you know, this is what you wanted and this is what you wanted. I'm so happy for you. But it's also, again, that the bittersweet side of it is where Chazelle hits you in the feels with that what could have been montage. And uh, it, it, it's just like real life. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, Eric, or anyone out there listening, but I do it sometimes. I sit there and think, wow, usually when I'm trying to go to sleep, 
11 years ago, what happens if, I, if I'd done this instead of that? Then, or oh, yeah. if I turned oh, off yeah. here or I didn't take that job and, you know, this, how it panned out, blah, blah. It, 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 that's what kind of got me as well because not just the... Because a lot of the songs speak to, you know, the, the, the viewer as well, not just the character. But that mm. moment does as well because I think it's, uh, it's a personal moment for Chazelle, but I think it's intended to be personal for the audience because I know I've certainly thought of what if, what if... And I mean, if if I ever had a moment like that in that bar, that I'd be a happy man for life because it's a a bitter, bitterly perfect ending for the film. Mm-hmm. I think. Actually, no, screw that. I know it is. I'm just bitter <laughs> that they didn't get together and have that kid in the end of it. But <laughs> again, like you say, to know that they're both happy. And that the club isn't called Chicken on a Stick as well was quite nice. Thank, but... thank the force for that. Thank I'll tell the you force what. for that, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's there's no malice there. They've had their argument. No. They've had their realization on the bench that they're always going to love each other, no matter what. However, you know, life finds a way of you know put, pulling people apart. And then yeah, the years go by, and it's kind of like the culmination of that moment on the bench. They, you know, I'm always going to love you, and that look between them kind of says it. It, you know, it, it, it kind of crystallizes that for me. It's, it's a magnificent end. The first time I saw it, I did leave thinking, I'm not sure if I'm meant to feel happy or if I'm meant to feel sad. Uh, mm. And in subsequent viewings, it, it, it still balances out, but it's that kind of happy feeling overrides the sadness. But it's still, it, I would be lying if, if I didn't say it still gets me. Yeah, and I think one of the brilliant things about that ending is exactly that. You know, it gives you the option, and I think a lot of it may be tied to how you're feeling going into it. Like, how how is your day? How is your week? How is your life actually right now? You know, like, are you stable with a partner and a child or something, or are have you just gone through a breakup? Mm-hmm. And are you, you know, are you a little more raw emotionally? And I think you can take different things. Like when I first saw this movie, I was doing, I was I was working in a lot of shows, and I was doing a lot of uh, things like that, and I felt okay. And this last time I saw it, like. I haven't been working as much theatrically lately, so the audition stuff hit me a little differently. But I have a really loving partner, so that stuff was easier. And I think that's one of the brilliant things that Chazelle does is that whatever you are feeling, you will put on this movie and it'll fit. Yeah. You know, it'll it'll give you an honest experience, which gives it a lot of rewatch value. So if if you are listening to this lovely, lovely listeners, and you haven't watched this in a bit and your life has changed a little since you last saw it, give it another watch because you might find things that are completely new based on what you've gone through in your own life. They certainly are lovely listeners, I will say that. But yeah, that's that's a really good point, because watching a film in a certain mood can affect how you watch it. I've seen films which I thought I'd like, and maybe I've been a little bit tired from work, and I've come out thinking, that was a bit of a slog. And I've since mm-hmm. rewatched them and thought, what the hell was I on about? That was great. But yeah, like you yeah. say, depending on where you are in your, li- in your mindset, in your life, it speaks to you, and... I sound like a broken record, but it's the writing is done and the directing is done so well to accomplish that, that like you say, I could watch this in a really good mood and come out at the end thinking, do you know what? It may not have worked out for them, but they are happy in the knowledge that they, that each other, you know, that they are happy within themselves for each other. Or I could watch it and think I've had a really bad day at work or, you know, you get those days where you just think, Oh, everything sucks. And then watching, mm-hmm. you might think, oh, this is the most depressing thing I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> right. Oh, they missed out on this happy life. How sad for them. I Which hate is also this totally film. valid. Yeah. But, <laughs> but it's what happens in life, though. Like you, like you said, life doesn't always work out the way you think it's going to do. And I'm 
And I'm grateful that Chazelle actually went down that route because whilst I sit here and say and just kind of that I really wanted them to be together at the end of it, I think the movie works better for having this ending. I think it works a, a hell of a lot better for having this ending. And even as little moments in it, like um, the like like you mentioned when um, Sebastian sees off uh, Kevin, John Legend's character, Mm-hmm. when we we know in reality he actually sits down has a chat with him and interrupts the conversation <sighs> little moments like that when you think that's all it takes is just a little note I'm, I'm here I'm doing this with her you know I'll, I'll catch up with you and they're playing there the, the Mia and Sebastian theme it's called that's being played at dude I can't even try to hum it maybe I'll insert some audio over this here it is now there you go um, but it's that beautiful beautiful um Accompaniment is what makes it even worse, and then it obviously bursts into into life a bit more into the dream sequence, and it just comes down to just a you know one hand playing that piano, which I've got to say, Ryan Gosling actually learnt to play piano for this film, which is mind boggling. Yeah. I, I told my girlfriend that while we were watching, I'm like, by the way, he didn't know how to do it's that, bad. and he is insane. I mean, which which is one of the things I got to say I love about possibly being a film actor someday is your job for four months is to do nothing but learn this skill. Yeah. And I think a lot, a lot of us would, would learn a lot more skills if we didn't have to go to work every day <laughs> and you know, do other things. And you're right. If your only job was to learn how to play the piano for four months, you'd probably get pretty good. You would. And I mean, let's face it. The guy is a stud. The guy is yes. ridiculously in this film, especially he is the, like a chunk of hunk. And yes. so he, he he looks the part. He dresses immaculately. He can dance. He can play piano. In in real life, he's a musician. He's a he's a damn good guitarist. He's a great actor. I mean, was there anything? I mean, it, it makes you quite f- uh, furious <laughs> watching it. <'cause> I'm thinking, <laughs> like, why how? can't I be how? him? Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe uh, he's got, he must have some flaw. I don't know what it could be, but he must have something. We'll find it someday because he's also like. Isn't he, he? Isn't he married to Eva Mendes? Yes, is he that, is. Yeah. yeah, and they have a child. Like he's a dad. He's a like he's, he's killing Sick. it. Um, uh, well, anybody out there, if you know of any Ryan Gosling's flaws, please don't say there's any bad ones because I don't want to hear them. Do let us know. <laughs> don't know. Or let us know if some you may think maybe he has really bad flatulence. I don't know, but let us know. Anything is possible. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they, yeah, that's a great I, scene. I want to hit on one thing you said too, because you said, you know, this didn't maybe end the way we thought we wanted it, but it, it actually turned out to be better mm-hmm. than that. And that, that, that sentiment has hit me a lot recently with a lot of films and books and whatever it may be. A, so much of modern commentary on media, right? Is like, I, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? And we, we can put together these ideas that we think are so good and so important <laughs> we do. for so long. And then if we see something, and it doesn't live up to what we thought, then we're disappointed. As opposed to just sitting back and actually watching what happens, which is probably better than what we thought. Yeah. You know, like like there there's a pretty big movie coming out in a couple months for you and me, <laughs> and I think that that is, that is definitely um, a uh, something that's going on a lot right now in a lot of discourses. We have a lot of people in our lovely community and outside. That are so set in this has to happen or it's bad. This has to happen or it's bad. Yes. I'm going to say, you know what? Hey, give this film a watch and realize, you know what you wanted to happen? Wasn't this so much better? Because it was just naturally what what progressed in the story. You know, if we just let go, I think we're going to be a lot happier. Yeah. So that's my that's my little soapbox moment for our other life. No, absolutely, mate. I mean, if the Jellicles aren't portrayed well in Cats, then we aren't going to... We were talking Cats, weren't we? 
we were. Yeah, good. Well, yeah, Thank you. I thought you were talking about that Star Wars rubbish then. Um, yeah, because I mean, I've heard that The Last <laughs> Jedi was divisive. I don't know if you've heard that or not, but... You know what? The rumours have hit my ears. A lot of the problem was, and I know we're going off on a tangent there, but it, 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 it is relevant to this, I think, because a lot of the problem was, obviously, people encapsulate what they wanted to see or what they thought they'd see or what they are used to seeing in a film, whether it's a, a space opera or a musical. People have their preconceptions of what should happen based on mm-hmm. what's come before. And when that doesn't happen, yep. not everybody likes that. And also, like you say, when you spend months and years you know, podcasting or talking about speculation, yep. that doesn't help. But it is that idea of being able to sit back and appreciate what the filmmaker wanted to give you, not what the filmmaker thinks you want to see. And yeah. I, same as in music, I a couple of artists I listen to, um, especially uh, one, Paul Weller, king of England, he makes music for himself. He's constantly evolving with each album and says it. You know, I, I love the fact people buy my records, but I make the music for me. And if people buy the records, even better. Rather than just trotting out the same same old kind of tired stuff, which he did do for a while. Uh, same as like Chazelle or, or, or the Star Wars franchise. Rather than trotting out the same stuff, give us something new. And, you know, if people are willing to accept it, they'll be all the better for it. That's not to say that everything's going to be great. It doesn't, you know what I mean? The Rise of Skywalker may yeah. not be the best film ever, may not be the best Star Wars film ever, but it's not because I'm going to go in there with a preconception of what I think it should be. It's because maybe it just wasn't an executed drink all that well. Whereas La La Land is the same. There are lots of people who I've read online or watched online who have issues with the ending because they don't think it suited the film. They think it should have been the happy ending. And mm-hmm. um, I've really wanted to speak to somebody about that who, who who disagrees and think, actually, no, the ending was bad. Or it wasn't executed but drink badly, but it was just not what they wanted. So I'm glad you're on the same wavelength. But, you know, I, to- I totally agree. It's like, yeah, it's that kind of preconception that of what we expect can derail your experience. Yeah, and I think there's always just that moment um, of reflection that you can try to take. You know, I try to do that in my media and in a lot of parts of my mm-hmm. life to say, okay, even if I don't agree with something or if I didn't like something, let me take a second. Why Why do I think this, this either this film ended this way or this person said this thing? What What could possibly be the better reason? Is there something that I'm missing, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the cool thing about the end of this movie that I think it really does give you a lot of reasons why it ends that way. And if you going back to the film from the from the beginning, knowing how it's going to end, I think is also very interesting because you can kind of see, okay, what do they value the most? What in the scenes do I see either of them kind of giving an inch of loving the other person more than their career, or loving their career a little more, or or how what what's the mm-hmm. scorecard like as we go through this film? And you know, bringing up Paul Weller is interesting because I think you kind of described a lot of what Ryan Gosling's character does throughout the movie as well. He's really just making music for yeah. him. He's saying, this is what I think jazz is. This is what I think the history of jazz has been. And a lot of the music that like John Legend's character plays, which is still good music. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's think, contemporary. Which, which is also, yes, I think it's also very important that they didn't make him like, this is bad, crappy music. Like, he's still doing pretty cool piano solos and stuff. It's just different. But Ryan Gosling doesn't care necessarily about that consumerism kind of stuff. So I just find that that's a funny comparison with, with him and Paul because I think that that is absolutely the character of I'm sticking to my guns, I'm making my music, I'm playing in my club, 
And if you come <laughs> in, whether you're my ex-girlfriend or not, like that's that's fine. <laughs> but I will be here playing my music with my friends, no matter what. And I think that's that's a really beautiful sentiment. You've mentioned we well, just gone into kind of into Ryan Gosling's character. It would be kind of remiss for us for us not to just touch on the on the two leads themselves yes. as their overall performance because Emma Stone won the Best Actress Oscar. Mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling was up for Best Actor Oscar. Um, again, the romantic in me would have loved both of them to walk away with the top gongs that evening, but I think Emma Stone certainly deserved her Oscar. I think, uh, I mean, is this her best performance? Probably. I think she's very good at Battle of the Sexes the next year, but I think, and she's, I mean, she's always very good, I think, even mm-hmm. way back in things like Easy A, and even like oh. Zombieland and stuff like oh, that. Oh, I well, love Easy A, I'll tell you, man. That's one of the movies people throw that on. And say, hey, you want to watch Easy A? Ten Hell out yeah. of ten, yes, every yeah. day. Give me those shower <laughs> scenes every day. Um, <laughs> at John Hughes goodness coming out. I yeah, she's always good. So I think, and I think, I think her character had. Uh, how do I put it? I say more to do. I think in, in, as such, yes. right? Because Ryan Gosling's character Sebastian was played wonderfully by Ryan Gosling, who we've mentioned as a superb actor. I think Emma Stone had more emoting to do. I think she had she had the bigger moments. I think uh, I think I, that's what I think anyway. And I think she was great. But the two of them together, we know their chemistry is off the chart. They'd been in films before, uh, Crazy Stupid Love, Gangster Squad. They they they're like just the epitome of. They, well, they are like those old school classic Hollywood pairings. They are, I think, anyway. But yeah, yeah for me, those two were scintillating. I thought they both bought their A game. Um, I thought Emma Stone absolutely deserved her Oscar. But yeah, the, the range of emotions that they went through and the talent, like we mentioned, to actually learn to dance, learn to play piano. Uh, I say learn to sing, but you got to... I mean, imagine they would have had lessons to sing. Emma Stone was fantastic at singing. Ryan Gosling had a pleasant voice, but you could tell yeah. Emma Stone had the you know the stronger voice. But what they went through for this film was nothing short of you know brilliant. And it shows, I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think that Emma Stone... Shines shines more out of the two of them, I'll agree. I think Ryan Gosling did a very good job. I agree that she has more on the page than him, which, again, yeah. if you're an, as an actor, you can only do as much as the page can give you. Absolutely. Um, but I think with Ryan Gosling, there's – he's a little more level throughout than mm-hmm. she is um, because I think because of the script. I think that, that that's what the character needs. Don't get me wrong. But as far as Oscar performance, I understand why he wasn't as lauded, perhaps, because mm-hmm. he's a little more even keel. And as far as the singing goes, I know I had I had some friends that are, you know, again, like I said earlier, into the more musical theater lifestyle <laughs> and are, are a little more just like, judgmental of singing and things <laughs> like that in movies. And that weren't huge fans of the two of them because they're not traditional musical theater performances, right? They're not yeah. like those classical singing in the rain with vibrato and all this kind of stuff. Whereas personally – this is one of my my more controversial opinions for people that I know. Here we go. Is I I I I do prefer a little more naturalistic singing in a lot of movies because I like seeing these characters sing a song as opposed to the dialogue ends stop now I will sing. Oh yeah, bursting. Yeah. yeah. Where I think that maybe in, in live theater there's there's more room for that because you need a stronger technique yeah. to be able to fill the theater and but as far as when you're filmed when you can get in that close and you can just be that kind of small and intimate i think it worked very well for the two of them and another really quick shout out because you said uh crazy stupid love if you haven't seen that movie 
that is, uh, listeners, that is a tremendous film. That is a lot of fun. It's a good one just to throw on, you know, at a, on a Saturday afternoon like I'm experiencing right now as, as Matt is living in the future of, yeah, of, uh, of, of England right now. Uh, if you got a Saturday afternoon, throw that one on. Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling, Steve Carell. It is, it is a great fun time, again, with the two of them just having electric chemistry. Yeah, I mean, what they've got, you can't... You can't, you can't teach that. You can't put no. someone in a room and say, right, learn to, you know, learn to emote together, learn to connect. They have it. And they're crazy stupid love. I mean, what? If, I mean, Julianne Moore's in it, Marissa Tomei, Kevin yeah. Bacon turns up in it. Oh, Ju- right. Yeah. Wow. Kevin Bacon. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, that, is a, that is a great film. I love Steve Carell when he does these kind of roles as well. Um, yeah, the, the, just on Ryan Gosling, Casey Affleck won for that year for Manchester by the Sea. Absolutely oh. no question about that. That film no, beat the living film. hell out of me. Um, My God. I, it, I've seen it. I saw it once in theaters. That's enough. And I'm like, this is amazing. I have not watched it since. Exactly. I don't know if I ever will. But it, but because it it does just beat the crap out of every emotion you have. And yeah. if it's on Amazon Prime, if you haven't seen it, like Ooh. pour yourself a really nice whiskey, turn <laughs> yeah, your lights one. off, and just watch this film. <laughs> It is. It is like being hit, hit by a truck, uh, yeah. but it's 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 like the most powerful film I've seen. One of them I've seen in a while. Casey Affleck for all of his whatever you think about the guy, he was yep. superb absolutely in that yeah. film. And yeah, I think put the two of them together. As much as I think Ryan Gosling was great in this film, you, you, no, you, nobody nobody's denying Affleck the win for that. But again, the romantic romantic in me would have loved to have seen both of them walk away at the end of it. But we also know that it didn't win another Oscar and that was Best Picture. So let's just, we might as well chuck that out there right now. Yeah. yeah it's I'll the shortest there. lived Best Picture nominee, uh, a winner, sorry, ever. When obviously, uh, Faye Dunaway and um, uh, Warren Beatty opened that uh, envelope. The winner is La La Land. The whole cast gets up there and then they were like, actually, <laughs> oh, crap, no it's not actually. Moonlight's the winner and you can see Ryan Gosling in the background giggling to himself. And everybody yeah. in the crowd's faces are like, "Oh, Hitler's just come back on stage." It's yeah. br- it was it was brilliant drama. But um, did you see Moonlight? By the way, I I did I did. Um, no, Moonlight. It's funny. Moonlight was one of the movies you kind of mentioned earlier <clears throat> for me, where I went in, I was exhausted because I was on a long road trip mm-hmm. and I just needed a break. <laughs> so I I went in exhausted at like four in the afternoon and watched it by myself. And I didn't love it as much as I wanted to. Like I, I, as I'm watching it, I'm like, this is a technological marvel. Like it's beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. This is gorgeous. I'm so tired. <laughs> I can't quite keep track of everything, but I enjoyed it very much. Um, and I think overall, in terms of Oscars, because Oscars are weird, right? I mean, they're mm-hmm. uh, they have are, are, yes, they're so odd. Are they for what's important? Are they for what's fun? Like we don't quite know year to year. I think that overall, Moonlight is. As much as I love La La Land, I love La La Land probably more objectively, but I think Moonlight is probably a more important film to win for that year, and yeah, I yeah. agree with that bit of it. And I, I don't think it was undeserved, but I do think it it's, was such a weird moment because, <laughs> you know, I was at an Oscar party with some friends, and I was one of the only ones that wanted La La Land to win more than Moonlight, mm-hmm. um, which I was fine with, whatever. But when that happened, it was such a weird mood <laughs> because then it flipped and some people were like oh like they clearly they, they tried to do this to moonlight or they tried to rig it out and i was like i just think this was st- so stupid by the like it was just a mistake and it was like my gosh 
I, 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 am, I am still flummoxed to this day how it happened. How they, the, the, the little cards got flipped around <laughs> and just, like, how, how is that possible? The way Who Ryan is... Gosling's laughing in the background makes me think he did it. <laughs> if, like this is going to be great. If you see the pictures, guys, out there, you yeah, will know oh, what I mean. That one, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just wild moment. And I think that, you know, uh, Damien Chazelle and Barry Jenkins talked um, after that and had, like, articles together and stuff yeah. where they're like, no, we love each other. We love each other's work. And so glad that, you know, both films are recognized and things like that. I don't think it lessens the impact of Moonlight or La La Land for that to happen. But I think that that's, that's the fun narrative that a lot of people could run with. Yeah. So I think that's why I'll, that that overtook the news cycle for quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, because it was, it was on very late every So I woke up to the news and I, I, I watched the videos. Like, this, this is bonkers. But at the same yeah. time, it's quite hilarious that everybody yeah. is getting so into this as it, as it was like a real, as if it was kind of like something awful had happened when it was just an unfortunate, I felt sad, sad for BT and Dunaway actually. Um, but mm. it, I, I, I agree that Moonlight was the more deserving winner in terms of importance and the message for now, because it's a, it's an extremely powerful message throughout. Yeah. Technically, yeah. I think La La Land deserves to win in terms of a filmmaking perspective in just just in terms of the st- the structure of a film from a to z how it was made and all the ingredients within it i think there's a reason why it was nominated for 14 oscars pretty much oh, yeah. every oscar that's why in my head i think should it have won into in on a technical level yes however i can see exactly why moonlight which was a great film with three well with more than three but some great performances in it but yeah, I mean, technically, there's a reason why this film was nominated for so many Oscars. But yeah, like I said, yeah. it won Best Original Score, Best Original Song. We mentioned the City of Stars. I have that song oh. in my head for quite a lot of the time I'm awake. I've just got a yeah. song. And one of, the, one of the great things I can do, uh, or I've done lately, which is really fun, if, if, you, if you have access to the, um, the score album, because there's the, there's the soundtrack with all the songs, and then there's also the score yes. album that has a lot of the jazz, right? Um, and the score album I'll put on sometimes in the morning as like, I'm, I'm eating breakfast or something. I'm just kind of like a quiet start to the day. It is, it just puts you in such a great warm, going. that, that warm bath feeling. As I said earlier, <laughs> yeah. it, It's such a great uh, thing to do. Or if you're, you're cleaning the house, whatever you're doing, throw it on the speaker and you will just, your day will get so much better <laughs> yeah. because the music is brilliant. Yeah. Even if you don't like jazz, you're going to after hearing mm-hmm. that. Because again, I like jazz. I appreciate jazz. But listening to it in this film, uh, and maybe the visuals helped, but man, it, it alleviated my appreciation for that genre tenfold. And the score Completely. is great. Justin Hurwitz is a superb composer. The, the yeah. scores he's done. And First Man, <laughs> that damn score should have won the best Oscar. And I've said it on every show I've done pretty much since. I'm still outraged. I didn't even get nominated Black Panther was a brilliant score. Ignore the soundtrack. The score for by Ludwig yes. Göransson of The Mandalorian. The score was just fabulous. But there's something Fantastic. about the first man score which I think should have actually won, let alone be nominated, mm-hmm. which it wasn't. But I'm glad that it um, took away the win for this. Justin Herbert is a great, great composer. City of Stars is a fab- fabulous song. People also thought the audition... Audition should have won. I like, uh, maybe it should have done actually, but maybe the scene sells the song more, even though it's a brilliant song. I like City of Stars. I like it an awful lot. I like hearing it. It's a beautiful little piano ditty. It's a simple sounding song. 
probably deceptively because mm-hmm. I can't play piano. I can play guitar, but I can't right. play piano. But like, like, oh, it's so easy! Like, come yeah. on, it sounds. Let me just go. Let me just go. Oh, maybe, maybe not. But um, yeah, City of Stars. What do you think about that? I really love it, and I and I love that it's one of the only original songs I've heard in a while. That it's kind of like nominating the whole movie inside one song. That's a good point, you know, because it's it's sprinkled kind of throughout the film as underscoring um, in a lot of places, and I think that when you hear it, you're kind of it's kind of like getting the entire film in a little bite sized package where yeah. you can listen to the love story. It talks about L.A. right, City of Stars. Yeah is obviously him singing on the boardwalk when we see it in the film at the city, but it's also kind of melancholy. So it also gives you a little bit of the sadness about the city in it. So on a technical level, it is, I agree. It is, it is simple melodically. Um, and yet puts in a lot of complex feelings in it. So by that level of technical prowess, absolutely deserved. Yep. Absolutely deserved. Yep. I, I really, really like that song. It's got, again, yeah, it's got, my, my, a lot of the best pop songs, for example, have the best are like simple, you know, mm-hmm. a simple melody, simple, uh, or you you know the chord that's coming next if you if you're musically minded. Yeah. Um, even people go back to things like Kurt Cobain said, "I write simple pop songs because that is what sounds best to me." And uh, last time I checked, Nirvana were wildly successful. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, checking the notes. Uh, yeah. yes, millions of dollars. Yes, smells like Teen Spirit. <laughs> Heard of it? Uh, yeah, there's so yeah. I so I don't mean to obviously yeah. Um, poo poo on the song itself, but I mean, yeah, deceptively simple. It's got dum bum bum bum, a really nice sort of um, ascending scale, and it just works. It gets stuck in your head. It fit, like, and you've said it. It fits the beat and the tone and the mood of the film. It kind of capsulates it, puts a little bow on it, and it yeah. is the, the theme of the song, uh, the film. Sorry, even though things like Mia and Sebastian's theme could take that, like, even audition. Um, or um, Herman's Habits, which is a great little jazz ditty. There's so oh, many yeah. which jump out to me. Um, also, the film, unsurprisingly, won Best Cinematography. If oh. if I'm going to put you on the spot now, I, I, take take let's take out the the poster shot because mm-hmm. that is the shot. But what you know, what other scene or moment or particular part stands out to you in terms of cinematography, which you just think that knocks my socks off? Oh man, I mean, I think it's got to be. Maybe, maybe that that whole last montage yeah. of uh, when when we have the real classic Hollywood time where she's leading him through the old Hollywood set. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, and they're walking through all those and that that use of um how people are staying. I guess it's it's a little more direction cinematography, but I really like how that's all framed. I love uh the way uh, uh the first scene we've talked about a lot. I'm gonna come back to that. Mm-hmm. I think that that is just a gorgeous um way that whole thing is shot. Um, and then and then to go back to the arguments that we talked about with the blue lighting, and it's a lot more simple than a lot of the other shots, but it is so effective. Like you look at a screenshot of a sea of that scene, and you know exactly what's happening, which I think is a great mark of good cinematography. Is you know if I take out the dialogue, I take out the motion, I take out everything. How do we compose this shot to show you what's happening? And you can tell. I would argue almost with any still in this film, you you know what's going on purely based on the visual language and that speaks to just the mastery of that cinematography yeah i hadn't even actually thought about that when you've when you've mentioned it yeah like the sort of blue teal hue is is matching the emotion of the scene i guess mm-hmm. like we mentioned we, how that didn't hit me up on every viewing i don't know but like we mentioned the, the muted palette of the of the of the more introspective scenes that, that's one of them mm-hmm. compared to the colorful um uh, flamboyant scenes elsewhere in the film 
I can't argue those. I, I mine. Oh, I put myself on the spot now, and I can't think. Um, <laughs> there we go. You know, do you know which ones I really like? It's when they're coming out of the the lighthouse cafe, when they're coming out, and you've got the lighthouse cafe in neon above the, on the brick wall, and oh, it's like yeah. that kind of it's that long shot where you get the entirety of the. I'm actually I'm I'm doing it with my hands now, <laughs> the size of it <laughs> to get the entirety of the the cafe in, the mm-hmm. really great neon sign God, just just jumps out at you. And they walk out, not quite centre of the shot, and then they go their separate ways. And the way they kind of one turns to look at the other as the other looks away is brilliantly done. But how the way that scene looks is beautiful. Like you say, most shots here you could you could a screenshot and put them on your wall, and they'd look amazing. Uh, and mm-hmm. and yeah, the, the 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 pier shot where Ryan Gosling yep. walks yep. down a pier, just <laughs> picks up a hat and starts dancing yeah. with the guy's wife. <laughs> but that again, that's got that stunning purple uh sunset to it and that again i know we mentioned we said we wouldn't take that one out but i mean that is the iconic shot for me is when they're dancing on the on you know overlooking la but there's yeah. so many moments in this film where you could look at and think that is incredible the planetarium scene some of the some of the dreamlike scenes when they are in silhouette i mean there's so much to look at where mm. it is just like you could take some of these scenes out for a dinner and a date they're so yeah. gorgeous <laughs> Oh yeah, and it's and it's tough because you know it, the cinematography and the direction are so closely mirrored. Yeah, you know, for me, um, and, and which leads to like you know Chazelle's mastery of directing this film. Uh, now, now, have you have you seen the behind the scenes video of him shooting the scene where Ryan Gosling's playing the piano and Emma Stone is dancing? No, I haven't, but now I want to. So yeah, so it's it's really quick, you know, flipping between him and her, him and her. Like he'll play a little, she'll dance. He'll play a little, she'll dance. And apparently, how he shot that scene was the cameraman is focused on Gosling, and she's, you see Chazelle, he's just listening, and then he'll tap the cameraman on the shoulder, who will immediately flip in over to Emma Stone, nice. and then he'll listen, he'll listen, and then he'll tap him on the shoulder, and he'll flip over to Ryan Gosling. It's all in real time. Ooh, yeah, and Chazelle, done on the spot. Yeah, and Chazelle is listening and knowing it so intensely and tapping and tapping, and he's like literally directing with his hands on the cameraman to make that whole scene happen. And it's like, again, he's our age, and he's doing this. <laughs> like, it's amazing. I mean, I, I, I struggle to sort of cook rudimentary meals sometimes or, exactly. or, you know, to kind of think, right, I need to do this at the same time as doing that or I've got to change gear now while steering. And, right. and Chazelle is, you know, he's out there. He's not just making films because making films is a, is a hell of an achievement, whether it's, oh, yeah. whether it's doing on an iPhone with your mates or doing a La La Land or a Star Wars or a Marvel MCU DC film. But directing mm. a film, a film is a film, it's, it's a hard task. But to this depth and, le- and sort of layered, the sort of textures and layers that Chazelle brings, and not just that, but the maturity of the influences. And I don't mean to say that, oh, he's only 34. Oh, he can't know these films from like the 50s. But it's kind of like bringing that sort of wisdom which belies his still very young age. And to be able to, well, he is a composer by of, 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 in, in a way, to be able to compose this film in, and like you say, in that way, like you just mentioned, to be able to know when to look at Ryan Gosling on the piano, when to cut across. Now we need this shot of Emma Stone. Uh, go back and forward. I mean, it's, the, 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 the guy has got something. And like Jordan Peele, like Greta Gerwig, I suppose now, Chazelle's films are event films to the point where whatever he brings out next, I am there first day. I am so excited to see what he does next, just no based on what he's done so far. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just 
it's tremendous. He has he has put together such a body of work, even with these first three films. Yeah. And I mean, he's got decades more he's going to create, and we're so lucky to be living at a time where we get to see all of it. That's the, and that's the sort of scary slash exciting part is that you know the guy could feasibly be doing this for, for the next forty years, and he'll still yeah. only be only in his early seventies. And yeah, look at Scorsese. I mean, yes. he's the Irishman coming out this year. He's like in his eighties, like right? Three and like... a half hours long. Oh, you know, oh, give it all to me. I can't I, wait. Mate, I cannot <laughs> wait for that. It's coming out so soon. But And they say that you learn as you get older. We will know that. Right. So what on earth, you know, how? let's just say the guy continues on an uptrend trajectory. How good could he be in 10 years time with maybe, with only maybe two or three films behind him, 20 years time? It's, oh. it's scary to think that somebody could deliver something as intense and, you know, f- brilliant as Whiplash to something as dreamlike and layered and textured as La La Land. And whilst First Man disappointed me, it was still mm-hmm. an exceptionally well-made film. The direction, it was great. It looked incredible. It, it That film just didn't hit me as I wanted it to, but I still appreciate, but I still accept and acknowledge the fact that it is a <laughs> fantastically made film. So, I mean, I wonder, I don't know what he's doing next. Maybe somebody could tell me, but... I wonder if it's if he's going to sort of go back into his musical leanings a bit more. I I, I hope so because I I'm, I'm with the on first man. I really liked you know a lot of what he did, but compared to the first two, it's definitely a step down. But I think some of that might have to do with the fact that he didn't write that screenplay. You know, like he Good wrote point. and directed both while Whiplash and La La Land. And while he absolutely you know all, directors absolutely have to be able to direct other people's work. That's your that's part of your job too. I wonder if we're really going to see him lean into more of his own original work as time goes on. Yeah. Because clearly, maybe he just likes having that much control, which is honestly, if, if we get things like Whiplash and La La Land, that's fine. Yeah. Great. Give it to me. <laughs> yeah. know, by all means. <laughs> so we'll, we'll kind of see. And if he sticks with Gosling, you know, he seems to be his guy being in two of his first three movies. Yeah. You know, let's let's do a Leonardo DiCaprio-Scorsese partnership here. Why not? I'm all for that. And um, I've just done a bit of the old cheeky Googling and uh, found out that apparently... Variety reporting that his next film, and this is unsubstantiated, you know, Variety reporting it is not confirmed. His next film is going to be called Babylon. It's going to be set in Hollywood in the 1920s, and he wants Emma Stone to star in it. So we may be getting a a real classic um, Hollywood age film, Babylon. Let's go. If that doesn't sound just freaking perfect, yeah, know, like, yeah. absolutely all right. Um, so I <laughs> I want to find out more about this film. So I'm getting on the IMDb Pro later on. And I'm finding out if this is, if this is true, but yes, yeah, so apparently we're going to get a, see, a, a movie set in 1920 with with Emma Perfect. Stone. He's doing a, a film called The Eddie, which I think is on a streaming service. I mean, a TV series, sorry. So he is working as such, but I mean, I I'd love to see that him. What kind of cast he could get for a film like this? Because yeah, I mean, the article mentions Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and that's stellar cast. Nothing to say that Chazelle can't go out and get a magnificent cast for a film like that, but does he need to? Should he get the big right. names or should he stick with, you know, the, the seasoned actors? We'll see. And hey, who knows? Maybe in 10 years he'll be on Disney Plus doing some Star Wars. So let's, let's just all hope for that. I would absolutely love that. <laughs> Starring Eric Eilerson. I would. There we go. Would, do you know what? I'd love that. And if you, no, there's nothing, uh, the lesser director is, is known for one thing, which Chazelle has branched out when First Man wasn't a bad film. You know, ne- let's never say never because talent attracts talent. That's all I'll, I'll hope for. So, um, I guess about the film, was there, was there anything else you wanted to say positively about the film? Because, I mean, we, we gushed about this, but it's def- it oh, deserves yeah. it. 
Oh man, I mean, just, just it's such a complete package, and it's so refreshing to be able to watch it again and be like, no, yeah, this was that good. This was yeah. absolutely that good, and everyone brings their A game from tech to acting to music, and it is just such a joy to watch. Yep, I can't argue that. Those are the colours throughout are magnificent from the from the girls' dresses at the beginning. You know, the blue, the red, the yeah, yellow, the and the green. So the, yeah, the pastel colours are so beautiful to the teal hue of that apartment. The majestic purples. There's just the colours in this film. The tone is is just spellbinding. The music is brilliant. The chemistry is great. The the choreography and the filmmaking technique, the one-shot uh, routines are amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a film which... You know, if this was in black and white, it would be great, but it would lose something. And the reason I say that is because when I was watching it yesterday, I thought I'd love to see what a black and white version of this would look like because of its because it wears its influence on on its uh, sleeve so much. I'd love to see what it looked like in black and white, but I feel it would lose something from doing that. Yeah, because there is so much. I mean, God, the, the amount of times you've said the word color in this yeah. podcast, I'm sure have. It's such a it's a character. Yeah. The color is practically a character in the film. Yeah, and before we move on to anything else, fun little fact that we could have had Miles Teller and Emma Watson in the lead roles. Now, Emma Watson went to do Beauty and the Beast. At the time, Ryan Gosling turned down a role as Beast in Beauty and the Beast to be in La La Land. Wow! Miles Teller, I can't remember. I think, I can't remember why he, he, he dropped out. But, you know, we could have had, yeah, we could have had the dude from Whiplash. We could have had the, the gal from Harry Potter in there and other things. Uh, could you could you imagine? Sure. I know hindsight is a wonderful thing. You know it's there at the end for us. Miles Teller and Emma Watson. Can you imagine it? I I could probably find a way to. My, I have a, I have an easier time with Emma Watson than I do Miles Teller. <laughs> I, I love Miles Teller and Whiplash, but I think he's he might be a little too smarmy too for this yeah. character. I because I think I think Ryan Gosling's character is definitely. He has his moments of being a little bit of a not not the most likable guy at some scenes. You know, he's a little cocky. He's a little um, you know too into his own music, which is which worse for the character. But Miles Teller may have taken that a little high. Uh, Emma Watson, I think, would have been would have been just fine. But I think Emma Stone really, um, I mean, Oscar. Yeah, but, you know? yeah. so yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we got who yeah, we got. That's what you got to say, Oscar. Yeah, I think Emma, Oscar. as of now, Emma Stone is a is a superior actor. So, but. Emma Watson is a very good actor, actress in her yes. in her own right. Um, two more fun facts I found out: this film was actually shot on celluloid film. Uh, is no way it was, which is because uh, when I watch, I think I went, every time I watch, I think this looks like an old film at times, which is what got me thinking about the whole black and white thing with Jiggy. Damien Giselle wanted to film it in the cinema scope, a Star Wars of the fifties, but that technique isn't simply isn't around the technology isn't around anymore so they still filmed it right. in a variation of serious cinema scope but it's filmed on actual film which is uh interesting i found and wow. yeah that's what gives it that kind of that that, that old school look to it yeah and, and i guess like it helps it yeah get that old school film but it, it's cool seeing that actual film can still give it that kind of color pop that i think a lot of us assume that is uh is a digital effect sometimes yeah. you know with it being that vibrant and, and the last one, I, I, I'm not sure about this one. I, I've i gone back and tried to work it out in my head if it's true or not. But apparently, according to somebody on the internet, which is always oh, a yes. beacon of <laughs> honesty. But apparently, must be true. Sebastian, Seb, he never actually tells Mia his name and she never refers to him by his name during the film. Apparently. Huh. Now, I know that Mia says her name because I watched, the, watched right. it yesterday and she says, <laughs> no, Mia. Um, this is when, this is after that great, speaking of chemistry, 
this is when they're at that uh, party, which again, cinematography, beautiful. When Ryan Gosling oh, yeah. uh, in this like, 80s cover band and he looks highly <laughs> embarrassed to be playing. Yeah, and they play um, Iran um, and she's kind of dancing for him, taking the mickey. Uh, and he goes to find her afterwards to to confront her, you know, in a nice way. Yeah. And in the end, he's like, he says, hey, you know, what's your name? And she said, Mia. And he's like, got to go. He walks off because, you know, the guy says to him, you've got to go on stage. And he says, you know, that guy doesn't tell me what to do. And she's like, well, he just did. He's like, yeah, he doesn't usually. <laughs> great chemistry. Great, good fun. It's funny moment as well. But um, she says her name then. He doesn't say my name is Sebastian. And I'm not, I mean, you know, I don't remember her actually calling him Sebastian during this film. I think I might be right. Yeah, I'd have to go back and watch it again. There, there we go. That's the only only logical conclusion. Yeah. So, yeah, fun little facts here from La La Land. If anyone can um, shoot those down, please do so in a nice way, as I always say. So, um, we spent best part of an hour and a bit basically saying this is you know a film that's descended from heaven. Was there anything <laughs> which you didn't like, or I mean, maybe didn't like, but didn't work for you, or you know, didn't hit you as much as other things did? Um, and you can say no. Yeah, I'd say mostly yes. I'm or so, or so rather mostly like again from he- sending from heaven. Loved it, loved it, mm. loved it. And the only thing that maybe hits me the wrong way every once in a while, it's not even constant, is that Ryan Gosling's character is a little bit like you don't know about jazz. <laughs> yeah. Let me explain to you a woman who yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah bit of like, course, yeah. It, it's it's the white dude talking to everyone else about He's how much he knows. Yeah, yes, he's mansplaining to her everything about this stuff, even of her own career sometimes. And I think some of it is legitimate because it's like, you know, they're having a, an argument as a couple. That makes sense. Yeah. But maybe sometimes when they first get together and he's like, no, this is what jazz is. This is what jazz is. And then when John Legend, you know, gives him this amazing gig um, with these really good other musicians, there's there's still a little bit of that, like, oh, I know better than you, even though you're all really great musicians. Which I think fits for the character, but at the same time, I can see why maybe two other people that were either musicians or to people that aren't like me, like me and you, just like white dudes, I, I can see how it can feel like a little bit of overly yeah. mansplainy. Yeah, but I'll argue that. Yeah, but other than that, like, like no, I I, I really <laughs> do like it top to bottom. I think it's tight. I think it it works. I love the way I can it hits me emotionally. Um. Yeah, I don't know. What about you? Um, yeah, I, I, it's one of those things that I find it hard to. I mean, yeah, like I, I see, I, I, I hear when you say about Seb, because he is literally saying, you're not listening to it how I listen to jazz. Listen to it like I listen to it, and then maybe, and right. then you're going to like it. God damn you, woman. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah. you're like, well, I, you know, I like it. I like the jazz. It's fine. Yeah, but you don't like it like I do. Um, yeah, uh, you like it the right way. Yeah, my way or the highway. And I guess we've all known somebody like that when it comes. So when it comes to music, you know, music yes. snobbery is yeah, a big yeah, yeah. thing. But like, yeah, I, mm. I could see that. And I mean, not really. I mean, could dancing in the stars be viewed or under the stars be viewed as a bit cheesy? Probably, but sure. not for me. It wasn't. So these are kind yeah, of like real nitpicks now. I mean, d- d- by the end of the film. It kind of seems to ignore the fact that it's a musical towards the end of the film and it becomes more of a straight yeah. film. But there was a resolution that needed to be shown naturally, which was the relationship. And I don't think it would have worked if Ryan Gosling's on the stage playing the piano and then suddenly Emma, Emma Stone starts singing in the audience. It, I agree. Yeah, whilst I agree. It, you know, could have been nice, it would have. 
it packed a punch as it was. So is that a problem to the film? No. Actually, I may have just found another positive. But yeah, there's not an awful <laughs> lot that I didn't really like, to be honest. Um, the first time I saw it, like I mentioned, the opening salvo, I did think, is the entire film going to be like this? And it set, and the film itself settled down, actually, like I did. It settled down into into a very, very good film. But I know I... There's not enough, maybe maybe there wasn't enough J.K. Simmons. Yes, he only had a cameo. There wasn't yeah, enough J.K. Simmons. Um, uh, I mean, would you really be fired from a restaurant for playing jazz when you're that good at it? Even though you're meant to be playing Christmas songs, probably not. I mean, but these are all just right. nitpicks. Yeah, yeah. So I guess oh, on that I'll say the the idea that you do a one woman show that you wrote and an agent happens to come yeah. and then decides that. If you just sing a song about nothing, I'll give you the the biggest starring role in my <laughs> yeah. international movie. That's a bit insane. But <laughs> and I'll call your think... your ex boyfriend now to tell him so he has to go and tell you. Yeah, like that. So if this were a you know wholly realistic movie, I think that would bother me. But again, they're flying through the planetarium. Like I <laughs> I, I can I can forego a few logistics. Yeah, I I, I understand that. I, I I let you off. And I mean, if this was a wholly realistic <laughs> film. The moment when they're having their road rage at the beginning of the film, they had a look, looked at each other and thought, "Hello there," because they are two exactly. stunning people. So let's let's be right. honest now, and, and you know you're not going to turn either of those down. They are fabulously talented people who just happen to be blessed with you know the looks of gods and goddesses. Damn them! Um, yeah. So when when you kind of have to sit there, and go, um, hmm, uh, I don't know. That's kind of your answer there. That there isn't anything which majorly derailed the film. For me now, does the film's only three years old, give or take? You know, it's pretty much three years old now. Does it have a legacy yet, or could it have one? I think, it, unfortunately, I think right now its legacy is that Oscar flub, and I <laughs> yeah. think that I, I, I'm interested to see ten, twenty years down the line. You know, yeah. um, I, I feel like a lot of it is going to get swallowed in the in the controversy of its release. So as of now, I don't think the art has anything yet. I think that. Going forward, maybe people can go back and and watch it as, you know, again, I think depending on what Chazelle does next, as you and I were saying, maybe this is like, look at back at his beginning of his career. Look what he did. Look, look at this astonishing thing that he did that led him to X, Y, Z. That could definitely happen. So I think that that might be the realm in which it lives. I, I agree. I, that's the only thing I've got as well was the the Academy faux pas is basically yeah. his legacy, which is a massive shame. I mean, obviously, <laughs> it has a legion of fans and adorers and followers and lovers and people who, to this day, like I mentioned, I go on to uh, YouTube videos to relive the songs. Yes, I do, and chat boards <laughs> or whatever. Just you know, just movie fandom, and there are still people to this day. I know it's only been three years, but you know, three years is a long time. Who still won't accept it and passionately. And properly, you know, politely talk about this as, and you know, they they really wish that the ending had been different. And you know, that's kind of a legacy for me that people still talk about the ending as, you know, what could have been. Uh, where there are other films where, you know, you maybe didn't quite get what you wanted, and you know, it is what it is. But this film to me it seems to have an enduring legacy where people wished that the two characters got together in the end, which is a good legacy to have. And yeah. when West Side Story comes out at the end of next year, twenty twenty. Um, I wonder how many times it will be compared to this. I know that's, uh, you know, a direct takeoff of another property, whereas La La Land is, you know, if you can call it, it is an original film with a head of a lot of influences and nods. 
I wonder how if the um, success of La La Land because it had a lot of fans, it made a lot of money, fourteen Academy Award nominations. I wonder if any of that will kind of bleed into West Side Story. I wonder if there'll be more people who, like me, saw La La Land who weren't the biggest musical fans who are now going to think, I'm absolutely going to give West Side Story a go, whether or not Steven Spielberg's directing it or not. I, you know, I'm now definitely going to give West Side Story a chance because my you know, the fire's been lit now because I'm expecting to see something as good as this. So for me, the legacy is people still talk about the ending and it's a it's now a mark which I think other musicals going forward need to be measured against. Love it. 100%. So, yep, good luck everybody out there who's making a musical. <laughs> so, um, Do your best. Yeah. So I think that kind of wraps up the, 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 the conversation of La La Land. Um, so before we before we wrap up and tearfully end... In terms of La La Land itself, I don't know this now. Where does it rank in your kind of top echelon of films of all times? I mean, even if it's not like a number, but does, is it up there or? Right. I, I think it's definitely up there. I, I think that it's definitely in the top tier of, you know, you asked me, especially my favorite films of the last decade or so. Uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those that I, like, like we said, I could talk for over an hour about, <laughs> yeah. evidently. Uh, I can't find a lot of flaws with. And I really think it's emblematic of a lot of things that I love about art, both film-wise, both in my own personal career. And it, it really is a very personal film for me that is also, at the same time, like gloriously commercial for them. Because obviously, <laughs> as you said, they made a lot of money on it, which is good. But yeah, it definitely is. It's right up there. Awesome. I thought it would be because you are here now talking about it for over an hour and not finding out any flaws. <laughs> but I know, it's right. int- I'm glad that um, it kind of transpired that Eric is a jazz drummer, or has dabbled in jazz drumming, mm-hmm. is a uh, is an actor, and can relate to the film in ways that I cannot, because firstly, it makes for a better conversation rather than just two guys who've got no idea of what it's like. <laughs> it opens my eyes as well. Plus, also, you've got the knowledge of being in LA. Does, and I'm I, I, sorry, uh, forgive my ignorance, but I can't remember if you said it or not, but what you saw of La La Land, does that smack of LA to you? Is this Does it feel like la to you in terms of when they're kind of poking at it it does for what i for what i've seen you know because it's been most like visiting friends and seeing things like that like the the vibe is very similar it is the if you're outside it it seems a little insane and to me it still definitely does but for people in there there's definitely that romantic love that kind of overshadows that so yeah he, he kind of nails it Fair enough i mean i a, a guy over here from woking over here in england or who now lives in essex beautiful essex as you well know it would probably be overwhelmed by it, probably love it, but um, no, I'd love to go and take a trip to LA one day, but that is it, I think, for episode four of Retrospectives. It's been a, it's been a hell of an honour talking La La Land with you, Eric, so thank you so much for giving your time out of your Saturday afternoon to come and chat. Oh, thank you so much. This was so much fun. I uh, love talking about this movie and so glad to finally be on with you, man. Yeah, I echo that as well. Myself and Eric, like I say, he uh, he beats me in the football every time because the US women's <laughs> national team is better than the England women's national team. Probably They're better insane. than the men's national team at the minute as well oh, yeah. in both countries, actually. Yeah. Oh, easily. So um, we mentioned earlier on what you do, what you get up to in your uh, professional life, in your uh, media life. So where can the world find you online if they so wish to? Oh, yeah. So you can find me on www.utini.com. You can find me. I'm on Twitter at Eric Eilerson at Living Force Pod. That's the podcast, Living Force Podcast. We're on all your podcasting apps, your your Apples, your Spotify's, your Googles, all that stuff. Um, and that's mainly where you'll hear me talking about 
less La La Land, more Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, and the occasional American football. Yep, so if you like American football, you are in. You could teach me a few things about it as well. Sounds um, great. Just, uh, it's Utini's, Y-O-U-T-I-N-I. Yep, that's yep. it. That's it. I've been to the website. I know. So yeah, um, <laughs> I say should you check it out? Do go check it out. The podcast is excellent. I I generally mean that. It's such a very good, informative podcast. Three people who know their stuff, and you can tell that they're good buddies as well, which always helps. Um, so yeah, do go check it out. Even if you're not a Star Wars fan, just go check it out. You might become one. If you want to uh, check more of myself out there, why wouldn't you? What I watch tonight.co.uk for all of the movie reviews. Rotten Tomatoes as well. If you want to see what I'm getting up to there and influencing and annoying people with my with my percentage scores you can find this podcast that you're listening to right now on all podcast providers if you like what you hear leave us a good review it really helps the show out and it gets it out to more ears as well however as i said eric thank you so much for coming on again thank you for having me this is awesome man and for you guys listening thank you for your time and for until next time see ya (laughs) 